Today's readings are, in a certain sense, blueprints for revolution. These are not the sorts of revolutions fought by professional armies on established fields of conflict using weapons of metal, gunpowder, bows and arrows, or swords. These are revolutions of change and freedom, of ideas and relationships. Moses is directed to lead the Jews from slavery in Egypt. The disciples of Jesus are given the vision of their mission to change their lives and those of others. And in the letter to Rome, Paul lays out the guidelines for a new way of living in the world, one which, if followed, would change everything that his contemporaries thought they knew about human behavior and the structure of human institutions. These are huge undertakings, and yet each begins with a simple idea. Yahweh tells Moses to free the Jews from slavery in Egypt. Jesus tells his disciples that they must carry on his work because he will soon be taken from them. Paul lays out a code of ideal behavior. I'd like to focus on the Exodus reading and on Paul's letter to the Romans this morning. The revolutions envisaged in these two readings help underscore the different worldviews of two cultures. The ancient Hebrews, enslaved and politically weak, are a tribe without a country. The crucial need is the freedom and safety of the whole community. The individuals seem less important than the group. They are enslaved together and they must escape together. Only in this way can they prosper and there is no particular interest in the prosperity of individuals, only of the people. Paul, on the other hand, has startling and new commandments for the living of individual lives. The tribe seems less important than the attitudes and interactions of persons. He lays out a list of ideal behaviors and interactions that sound overwhelmingly difficult, even as we acknowledge that they constitute the core of Christian ideals. Notice that these are not necessarily religious pronouncements. They give to each one of his hearers and to each one of us a manual of beliefs and attitudes and actions that, were they employed by every one of us, and everyone beyond these walls would change the world. Moses is to free the tribe so that a long time later, probably not so long in God's time, the end of despair and hunger and war can reign on earth. The inevitable result of living according to the precepts proclaimed by Jesus and then laid down in Paul's letter to Rome. In the book of Exodus, we heard last week of Moses' rescue by the Pharaoh's daughter. When Moses becomes a young man, he realizes that he's one of the Hebrews and that his people are slaves of the Egyptians. In a moment of anger, he kills an Egyptian and has, who has beaten one of the Jewish slaves, and Moses runs away. He leaves Egypt, travels to the neighboring province of Midian. There he meets a priest of that land and marries one of his daughters and he becomes a shepherd for his father-in-law, and it is while tending sheep that he encounters God, first as a flame and then as a voice. Within this encounter occurred two things that proved to be crucial to the whole Jewish story. First, God tells Moses to lead his people, the Hebrews, out of slavery in Egypt and take them to the land of the Canaanites and all those other ites that Pat read this morning. 
Then when Moses asked God who shall he claim gave him the authority to lead this escape, God says, I am who I am. That's how the English reads. It's important to remember that the tra that translations are very tricky. The word given to Moses means something more like being, a gerund, a noun. Beingness, we might say in English. And the Hebrew consonants that would be written for that word are Y-H-W-H, -H, Yahweh, the unspeakable name of God in Hebrew. Being is the source of all life. Being is. Yahweh takes notice of the plight of the Jewish people, his people, and appoints Moses to free them. This is not a request or a suggestion. It's an order. This revolution is a mass movement. The escape is a revolution of slaves against their masters with the happy intervention of their God. We know that this escape will take years to accomplish. You've heard Father David tell of the calculations of an expert in military maneuvers who estimated that the journey from the Red Sea to the crossing of the River Jordan should take no more than four or five weeks, even accounting for women and children and livestock yet it takes 40 years. However, this is not a journey, but a revolution. The transformation of a whole people from slaves to free people. And such revolutions take time, time for a restructuring of personal identity, relationships, and understandings. It takes a generation and maybe more before Moses can fulfill God's <coughs> assignment. After the crucifixion, remember that Paul undertakes a ministry that does not derive from direct knowledge and experience of the living Jesus. Paul relies on what he learns and what he feels has been required of him. He undertakes to spread the message of Jesus as it has been transmitted to him from a number of sources, other people, his own meditations, his profound and mysterious personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. The things he learns are weightily summed up in today's passage from Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. It's the cliff notes of Christian teaching. And the heart of the letter is, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Extend hospitality to strangers. Live in harmony with one another. This is not necessarily new material for the church in Rome. They've heard it before. And it's valuable to us as a distillation of how we ought to live in our relationships with others. As we read through this passage, it can become an overview of our faith. It is expected behavior for Christians. The requirements may seem outrageously difficult, yet it is what the Christian revolution has been teaching for centuries. I think you can understand what we need, that we need to be moving toward these goals. It's a good passage to read once in a while. It helps us hear again what our personal revolution should be. Conversion may offer a more manageable metaphor where we can visualize turning around, but a truly Christian way of living is revolutionary and would spin our culture. Today we are facing a world that shakes with revolutions. In country after country, the political situation is more than volatile. 
long dominant powers are weakening. What our hope ought to be is that these uprisings will lead to the escape of whole peoples into a new way of living. But only when we can live in patience and love one-on-one -on -one can we perhaps see the world that Yahweh envisioned for his tribe and for which Jesus left behind his disciples, so unwilling to take over the job, so that they could inspire not just the tribe of Israel, but the whole world. Moses was dismayed when God told him to lead the Jews to freedom. Peter adamantly argued with Jesus that he should not accept the inevitable fate that awaited him in Jerusalem. Paul lays out the winning plan, a plan that seems almost impossible to bring to fruition. We do not need a military strategist to tell us that this journey should not be taking us so long. It is probably time now for us to get busy. Being commands it. And our very being requires it. Amen. Amen. Amen.